Let's take in our Bibles and look to Matthew 21 today as we're continuing in this series of Matthew. Last week, you were talking about the uh, passage where Jesus entered into the Temple Mount and all that took place there. Remember, uh, Hunter was telling about that place to be a place of prayer had become a bazaar. It had become a marketplace. It was really a scheme from the religious leaders of the day and how to make a whole bunch of money, to be honest. And Jesus, in one day, dismantled the whole system and broke it down, cast out the merchants and the money changers, and reestablished the court of the Gentiles at the temple mount itself to be a place of prayer for all the nations to come. What a glorious time that was to see uh, the temple reestablished as God inclined it to be. Well, the next day, Jesus goes back into the temple, and that's what we're talking about today in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. And I'd love it if you take your Bibles and just read along with me as we work, work through this text. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pause and pray. Father, we're grateful that all authority belongs to you. That every, everything that is, is because you spoke it into existence. We're thankful as well that you gave authority to your son, Jesus. And so we have bowed our head in submission to him. We've listened to his word as it's been read. And now we ask that you help us by the movement of your Holy Spirit within us to be able to concentrate and to receive the word that you would have for us collectively as a body and individually so that we might respond to you in the way we should respond. We ask for your grace in that way, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, it was customary in the day for men to be ordained, and in their ordination, it was declared that they were credentialed as priests or as teachers, as leaders, civic leaders and religious leaders in the community of the Hebrews. And all that transferred at the time of their ordination. There was a problem, at least in the sight of the leaders of the day, Jesus, nor John, had been ordained by them. And now Jesus has come into the temple area, and he has acted as a leader and shifted things up, and they've heard him proclaim what he says to be the word of God, and yet he is non-credentialed as a teacher of God's word. And they're questioning him about this, about his authority. As one writer said, they considered Jesus to be an untrained, unrecognized, self-appointed rabbi who had no authority whatsoever to cast out the money changers, nor had the authority to teach God's word. And so they asked Jesus about that. By what authority do you do these things and who gave you that authority? Now you notice that Jesus didn't answer their question. Honestly, he's not being evasive to the question. 
uh, the answer had been given during his entire public ministry. The, the authority of Christ has been well stated and well uh, positioned among them in their sight. But the authority wasn't the issue. Jesus had already proclaimed his authority. And not only Jesus, but as he said in John chapter 5, there are multiple witnesses of the authority of Christ, including this list. First, the Holy Spirit of God himself bears witness that Jesus Christ is the authoritative Son of God. The miracles themselves are a testimony to Jesus and his authority. Listen, when Jesus is settling down the wind or settling down the waves, it's his authoritative position as the creator of all things by which those things grow calm. When Jesus is casting out demons, he's doing so because he has the authority over them. There is no power of hell that is greater than Jesus and his position of authority. And every one of those was meant to be a witness to his authority. God himself bore witness that Jesus is his son. This is my son, they heard God say from heaven above, and whom I'm well pleased. Yet they rejected that. The Old Testament scripture testifies of the authority of Christ. And John the baptizer, the one who had been baptizing people unto repentance, pointed him out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So all authority had been pointing towards Jesus from the entirety of his public ministry. So for them to ask a question about his authority, it wasn't about that at all. So Jesus turns the tables. And he asked them about the authority of John because he recognized that they really had a problem with authority. They wanted the authority in and of themselves, but the authority belonged to God, and God gave it to his son. In fact, you notice the passage that's in your handout, John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the latter and the first part of those verses. Jesus has stated that God the Father had given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So as we give honor to God the Father, we also give honor to Jesus Christ. And God has given him that. Now, all of eternity hinges on this understanding and truth about Jesus and his authority. In fact, our trust ought to be in him as the authoritative son of God. And our submission to him ought to be in and of his divine authority. Now, look with me in John chapter 5. And this is an amazing text. In chapter 5, verse 27, we find these words from Jesus. This is his word speaking. And he has given to him authority to execute judgment. Let's pause for a minute and figure out who the pronouns belong to. When he says, in this case, this is Jesus speaking, when he has given him authority, he's speaking of God the Father has given to Jesus the Son the authority to execute judgment. So this is, a, this is what authority does. Authority executes judgment. And only authority can do that. If I were running down uh, 411 going north on Rainbow Drive, and I saw that you were running 52 in a 45, and I pulled up to you at a traffic light, and I said, hey, roll down your window. And you roll it down. I said, hey, buddy, you're going 52 in a 45. You owe the city of Gadsden 125 bucks. That's exactly what you'd do. You'd laugh at me, would you? And you put the metal down, and there you go. Well, of course, because I have no authority at all to impose a judgment upon you, a fellow traveler running north on 411. I don't have the, the authority to do that. Now, I can bear witness, but even my witness is to the authority about what took place. Only those in authority can actually relegate 
judgment. And only Jesus has been given the authority by God to execute judgment. So we need to understand that out, outright, up front, that God is given to Jesus, God the Father is given to his Son, judgment. Now Jesus says, don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All right, so here's a, a couple of things that stand out to me. First of all, all who are in the tombs are going to hear him. Now, there's a whole lot of people today that want to discount Jesus, and they want to put off a decision about Jesus, or maybe they deny who Jesus is, but I want you to know, we've already sung about it, every knee is going to bow to King Jesus one day. Every knee in heaven and on earth and beneath is going to bow a knee to Jesus and come to an understanding about his authority. The great grace moment for us is that God allows us to come into his kingdom now and to establish the rule of Christ in our life by being submissive to him. As Jerry was bearing witness on the video, he was understanding that God wanted to be on the throne of his heart and everything from there ought to be lived out. Everybody is going to understand the authority of Christ and come under the submission of it. All right, the question is, in that day when the Lord's authoritative voice is heard and he calls people forth from the grave, everybody is going to do that. You do know all people are made to live eternally. You're either going to live eternally in heaven or you're going to live in eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. That's the separation from God. And everybody is going to be called forth by this authoritative voice of life and all people will come to life. Some of them are going to come to life and they are going to be resurrected to life. Why? Because of the good that they had done. And other people are going to be resurrected, and their resurrection is going to be unto judgment. Why? Because of the evil that they have done. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you telling me, Randy, that I can be resurrected to life if I do good, and I will be resurrected to judgment if I do bad? Well, this is not a works-based salvation plan. What God is saying to us in this by His Son, Jesus is that all people are evil. I was born in 1965 with an evil propensity. I was born with an evilness in my flesh. There was sin in me that was going to come out. It was just looking for the opportunity. It didn't take long at all for that to happen. The Bible says that there is no one righteous, no, not one, that we all fall short of the glory of God. So if we're left in that place, then we will be raised one day unto judgment because we have forsaken the way of God and gone our own way. But in this period of grace that God is inviting people to know Him, and we know Him through Jesus Christ, those who have done good could actually have a resurrection of life. Now, how does that transfer? Here's what happens. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus takes all that sin and he places it there upon himself and he dies with it and he resurrects with his righteous life offered to all of us so that those of us who submit to him as the Lamb of God, the authoritative one who can take away sin and give life, those of us who submit to him in faith can actually have that good 
goodness of life. Listen, any goodness that I have and any good that I do doesn't come from me. It comes from the nature of Jesus that now resides within me by his Holy Spirit. And in that is a testimony that I will be raised to resurrected life. If left alone, I'd stay in my sin and I'd be resurrected unto judgment. So this whole authority is a big, big deal. Now notice this. When we understand the authority of Christ and that he has the authority to execute judgment and that that judgment is either going to be unto life because his blood has been shed and our faith is given to him or that judgment is unto death because evil remains. When we get this, that brings me to this point on the screen, trusting in Jesus and submitting to his authority is essential. It's essential to understand that because your understanding and your givenness to that or your lack thereof will either be your resurrection unto life or your resurrection unto judgment. This whole understanding is so essential that it is not just the means of our salvation, but it is the means of our significant life for today. This is the missional call for us that we would have eternal life in Christ and we would do eternal things to the glory of Christ. So there's movement in this understanding of the authority of Christ. The movement throughout the text is that Matthew is revealing in his gospel the Lord's authority. So when he raises up Jairus' daughter, he is proving that he has authority over sickness. And when he raises up a lame man so that he might walk, he shows his authority over the flesh. And when he calls out to Lazarus to come forth, he's showing that he has authority over death and he has authority over life. In all these things, Jesus is showing as having authority. Now, that's a big deal because as it unfolds throughout the chapters, we come to a close in chapter 28, and Matthew points to this grand declarative statement that Jesus makes, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the, uh, the authority is resting in Christ. Now, catch this. Then he says, and I give it to you. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them the commands that I've given to you. And he promises to be with us forever. So this movement of understanding, this progression of understanding the, the authority of Christ is so essential, not just to our salvation, but to who we are and what we do in the body of Christ as, as believers, as followers of Christ. So the eternal salvation and our eternal mission are both based on the authority of Christ. Now, to deny the authority of Christ is to be unsaved. You can't, you can't be saved and to deny, to deny the authority of Christ. You're going to have to understand God's authority that is being treasured in Jesus. And, and if you don't do so, then you remain spiritually dead, you remain lost in your sin, but to be given to the authority of Christ and submit your life to him. Here's what he says, deny yourself. Deny yourself the authority that you claim to have over your life and your will and your way. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, that's a place of surrender, and follow me. Why would we do that? Because he's the authority. 
And we recognize under the authority of Christ is where the treasure of life is, where the significance of life is, where grace and love and mercy flow, where peace and joy are found when we come to understand that. Now, in today's passage, Jesus amplifies this by telling a story. He's the master at this. And the story is of a man and two sons. Jesus says this in verse 28. What do you think? A man has two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. Now this whole inquisition of Jesus was coming from the most elite in the whole culture. In fact, these were the people that lived closest to the um, temple of God and closest to the officials of the Hebrew people. These were the ones that were the teachers of God's law. They were the ones that were leading the people to truth. They would identify truth and they would point people to, to truth and they would deny people the opportunity to teach things that were untruthful. These were the go-to people. If anybody should know truth, it should have been these people. But shockingly so, truth was standing in front of them and they did not recognize him. God was standing in front of them in the flesh and they did not recognize him. God was speaking his words directly to them and they denied it. So here Jesus in a, a real shocker says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they'll enter the kingdom of heaven before you. Now, for you who might work for the IRS or the state revenue office, we're not necessarily talking about you. We're talking about people who were Jewish people who had sold themselves out to collect money for the Romans who were the occupiers of the land, the enemy in the land, so that they could make more money on top of their own people as they took the money for the Romans. Now that's pretty dastardly, isn't it? So among the sinners, the chief of those were said to be the prostitutes who were immoral and the tax collectors who were greedy and idolatrous. And Jesus says to the preachers, they go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Now, why is that? Well, certainly they had rejected all the witnesses that God had given to them. They rejected that Jesus was identified by the Holy Spirit. They rejected that he was the son of God. They rejected his miracles, saying that they were empowered by the devil himself. They rejected everything that God had given to them to bear witness that, that Jesus is the authoritative one. They discounted it all, including the words of the prophets, which were 100% accurate, pointing out who Jesus Christ is. They were blinded in their their sin, they were, they were shocked by the words that they were hearing that Jesus would say that prostitutes and tax collectors would enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they were, they were shocked at hearing it, but Jesus was true in saying it because they saw the witness of transformed people and failed to even give the Lord credence for that. 
Now think about this for a moment. A prostitute and a tax collector who is forsaking their sinful ways and being transformed by faith in Jesus Christ, that is quite a testimony, isn't it? Amongst all the other things that God had been saying through the prophets and through the miracles and through Jesus himself, they should have seen and determined the transformed life as bearing witness to who Jesus Christ is. In fact, along with the Bible, God has determined to use our transforming lives as a witness of the authority of Jesus Christ. The transformation. Our witness is meant to be powerful. Now, certainly God's word is transformative. And our lives are in a process of being transformed. And when that happens, it really helps people to discover that Jesus is the authority over our lives. In fact, so powerful is the one who displays this transformation, not just by saying it, but by living it, that others will come to discover who Jesus Christ is. Jesus says in the end to the leaders, you should have seen the transformation that took place in the prostitutes and the tax collectors, but you are so blinded to my authority that you even denied the transformation that was right in front of you. Did you know that your life can be that kind of power? Now be careful, because what you hope that others won't discover about you, that God has redeemed you from, that God has transformed you out of, that the power and the authority of Christ is making such a move in your life, those things that you hope nobody discovers might be the very thing that the Holy Spirit wants to identify. That might be the very thing that the enemy of God is, is bringing shame into your life about that, hoping that you'll never voice it to anybody. But listen, there is a power of a testimony that says, all I know is that, that I was like this and now I am like this. This transforming power of the authority of Christ to bring us to a new place of living. That's the reason why we love the old hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Hear the movement in that? The transforming movement. Listen, I was transformed when Christ Jesus came into my life, and I am being transformed. I was saved, but I am also being saved. And so is the power, the transformation of God in Christ, in me, by His Spirit, by His Word, this amazing authority of His life given and over me that He would transform me and transform you. So there's great power in that transformation. There's also great power in choosing to live by faith in the present truths of the authority of Christ. In other words, God's authority in Christ was not just a point in my salvation, but a movement of transformation and present truths in my daily life and in your daily life. For instance, this. He says in Romans 6 that we ought to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. That's a connection to today. In the present truths, we need to live in that authority. When you have this, this notion to sin, when you have this battle within you, you can come to this present truth. Oh, I am dead to that and now alive to God in Christ Jesus. He has given me authority over that, that I can walk in the newness of life by the Spirit of God. That's a present day truth that we ought to excel in. Or as Paul would say to the Galatian church, 
I now live this life in my flesh by faith, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a present movement to that. I'm choosing today to live by faith in Christ who has authority over my life. Which moves me to this. The purpose, our purpose, is to live gloriously in Christ and have our greatest impact by being genuinely saved and steadily transformed by Christ. If you're here today and the Spirit of God is speaking to you, He's doing one of two things. He's calling you to salvation or He's calling you to move steadily in the transformation of Christ. You say, well, Randy, I've been steadily transformed by Christ for a long time. I say, great, keep it up. Keep allowing God to do His transforming work as you continue to let Christ have the authority over your life. You're choosing to be a bondservant unto the master Jesus who has great authority and rule and reign. So may, may the I was once lost but now found life be real in us and may it be truthful and purposeful. And Jesus begins to tell this story about two sons to communicate uh, this idea. Can I just be real honest with you? Throughout last week as I was reading over the passage over and over and over, I got to the story, I'm like, blah. Anybody, I mean, is that okay to say that? That as a dad, I'm reading it as a dad, I'm like, blah. There's not much to it. I mean, you've got a son who says, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. That ticks you off. <laughs> and even if they change their mind and they go do it, you're still kind of miffed that they said no to begin with. And then you've got this other son that says, yeah, dad, I'll do that. Then they never get up and do it. So I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sort of thinking we ought to ground them both. <laughs> Lift them off the, the floor a little bit as they're going to their room or whatever it is. This is not, fortunately for us, this is not a story about parenting. This is a story about God's grace. This is a story about His call to repentance. When we understand the authority, this is a story about last words having significance and about last intentions being significant. I think this story is about if today is the last day you'll breathe, Randy, let today be the day that you do what God has called you to do under the authority of Jesus Christ. And if tonight is going to be the last night you'll ever sleep, let it be that you go to that bed knowing that you have served Jesus well. And tomorrow morning, if you rise up, and it's Labor Day, not Memorial Day, if you rise up on Labor Day tomorrow, you say, Lord, let today, if it's my last Labor Day, be given to you unto your glory. Let it be because you are Jesus, the authoritative one over my life, who has given me purpose and significance. Let it be. I think it's about the last words. Bruce Barton, in his commentary of this passage, says, True beliefs and responses are tested by time. Each of the sons in Jesus' story responded immediately to their father's request. As it turned out, their first answers were meaningless. Each changed their mind. What they finally did and said mattered the most. The first son, the I want but did, are the Tax collectors and the prostitutes, they knew the word of God, they heard the law of God, they heard the prophets of God, they knew what God had commanded of them, he had written it on their hearts, but they chose to reject it. But then they heard the testimony of John, the baptizer. 
When John the Baptist began to call out to them to be repentant, they heard that. And when they saw that he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who could take away their sins, they went to him in faith, believing that he could be the transformer in their life, that he could be the one to rescue them from a life of sin and death and judgment. They had confidence in him, and in that, they came to faith and understanding. The I will, sir, but didn't get around to do it, are the religious leaders of the day, the chief priests and the elders, who said they knew God, who said they were obedient to the word of God, but they did not even know God when he was standing before them and did not know his word, though it was spoken directly to them. They were that last, I will, sir, but didn't group. It's interesting to me that I will, sir, could also be translated, I will, Lord. The word for sir and Lord are the same. It takes us back, doesn't it, to the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew 7, some of the most haunting words that Jesus has ever said. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Not everyone who says to me, yes, sir, yes, sir. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, it's not about our promise, it's about our practice. It's not about the words that we're sharing. I'll do it, Lord. It's about the words that coincide with the actions. Because your life and my life is most powerful when the words match the intention of our heart and the expressions of our life and they coincide with who Jesus Christ is. Now you know why Jesus would say the prostitutes and the tax collectors would enter into the kingdom of heaven before those who were religious, who were not willing to come under the authority of God. Could I ask you a very pointed question? Is there anything that the Lord has requested of you that you have failed to do? Is there anything as a son or a daughter of the vineyard who he says, go into my kingdom, go into my vineyard and do this work. Is there anything that you have yet to do? Even though you may have said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Or maybe you've just outright said, no, that I won't do. Is there anything that he would want you to do differently today? You know, as being a son or a daughter of God, it's certainly up to him to instruct us on what to do and how we work in his vineyard. But he's given us some very specific instructions. One of which is to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. That's a command God makes of us. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. I'll do that. But yet we find ourselves living in the commonality of the world. We find ourselves with the same language of people in the world, entertained in the same way that the world is entertained, having the same goals and aspirations that the world has towards possession of materialism, Yes, Lord. Holy. Yes, Lord. But do we do it? The practice is much more than the promise. Where the Lord says of us in his vineyard, I want you to go out and work my vineyard. Make my name known throughout the nations. Share my gospel. Share the good news. Make disciples of all nations. Yes, Lord. We sort of hesitantly say yes to him. But we struggle, don't we, with neighbors, co-workers, classmates, 
struggle with people that we come in contact with to really do what we said that we would do, practice is far more important than promise, isn't it? Maybe there's something else in your life that God has instructed you to do and you've yet to do it. Could I encourage you to make the promise and in the empowerment of the Spirit of God who dwells within you, establish the practice. That's where the joy of life is. Ah, for repentance really matters. It's life-altering. That's probably the reason why a lot of people don't follow through, because it just changes who we are and what we do. But let's do this. Let's commit to honor our Heavenly Father with promise and practice. As James would say, let's be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Let's put off the old self, the old former things, and let's put on the new self in Jesus Christ. And let's be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Put on this new self created in the likeness of God in Christ. Full of righteousness, as he would say. Let's choose that. Kay and I have learned, although we're not, certainly not perfect at this, we have learned to be intentional about practicing under the authority of Christ. We do that in the mornings. We rise up and we get into God's Word together. We're reading God's Word individually and together. And then at the end of that, after making some notations about what we believe God had spoken to us through that Word, we have a prayer about that. And the prayer is not generalized. The prayer is specific to the passage that we've just read. And it goes something like this. God, today we've understood that you require of us not just promise but practice. God, by your Spirit, let us be found faithful to that. By your Spirit, empower us that we might walk in that. It's the intention of our heart to walk in that way. Help us, Lord, we pray. It's our purpose to put feet to this principle today. We'll make it real personal, real practical in that way because we want to walk in that truth. We want to come under the authority of Christ. Now, we don't always get it right. In fact, there are some days that I get more wrong than I get right. But tomorrow morning, it'll be the same way. My heart will be back inclined to the way of God. Or it might be in the afternoon, my heart will be more inclined to the way of God. Or I put my head to the pillow. Tomorrow, Lord, the mercies are going to renew as the rising of the sun. Help me tomorrow to follow suit under the authority of Christ. So we purpose in that way. And then we also put up holy barriers, parameters, if you will. In other words, God has established holiness in our life, and we don't want to go beyond that. We want to stay within the boundaries of holiness. So there's certain things that we know we ought not do. We ought not watch. We ought not listen to. Shouldn't read. Shouldn't scan. Shouldn't uh, click around on. There's certain things that we say that's outside where God doesn't want us to be. And because we're submitting to Him, we want to follow suit with Him. Could I encourage you to do that? Just choose to practice the promises that you've made. It won't be by you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It'll be by you submitting yourself to the authority of Christ by the power of His Spirit that will incline you to live out the righteousness of Christ. And throughout the day, you're going to have to come back to it. You're going to have to have this great intake of God and His Word and His presence because the Word, the world around us is powerful in its influence. So we're going to have to be real purposeful to engage in the holy things of God. I encourage you to do that. And the reason why is because God is faithful. When you and I follow in the steps that has been laid out for you, underneath the authority of Christ, 
That's where joy is. That's where great hope is. That's where blessings are. That's where peace is. The wrangling is no more. The tensions are no more. Fear dissipates. So could I encourage you to pursue the things of God today uniquely because Jesus is the authority of your life. And in doing so, you will flourish and His kingdom work will move forward in a way that you'll experience Him uniquely. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus who has called us to Himself that you would find us given to you in promise and with your empowerment practice. I pray, Lord, that we would be like those who have come to a point of transformation, being saved and rescued from sin and judgment, and that we would walk underneath the authority of Christ every place we go, be it in the schools or in the work, in the neighborhoods, in the community, that you would find us faithful, submissive, surrendered to you. And that in doing so, you would bless us, Lord, with great joy and peace. You should bless us with truth and great eternal opportunity to live significantly on your behalf in your name. We thank you for the treasure of the word today and pray that it would be clung to by each of us, held tightly as the treasure that it is. In the name of Jesus, I 